Hello there. Going through a divorce? Considering one? Sorry to hear that. But here you are. Welcome to Splitsville. You'll find Splitsville to be a pretty unique place. A new world, really, with its own rules, its own expectations, and in many ways, its own language. But don't worry. You have a knowledgeable guide along the way. A family law attorney with three decades of experience under her belt. And now, here she is. Your host and guide, Lee Sellers. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Welcome to Splitsville. I'm your host and guide, Lee Sellers, founder of Touchstone Family Law. And in this episode, I'll be answering another question that many newcomers to Splitsville have. Does your diagnosis matter in your custody case? So let's dive in. So today we are here with Sean Knuth, who is a licensed psychologist in North Carolina and is specializes also in forensic psychology. He does a lot of evaluations, and that's really how I met him, was working through some evaluations and looking for some people who would do a psychological evaluation. But Sean, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. As is the guy with the lawnmower. I know it. <laughs> yes. Today, there is lawn mowing going on near our podcast. So we are not actually playing with mechanical tools during the podcast, but somebody outside the window is. So, Sean, I think we could talk for hours. Um, there's so many important things that come to, to bear in divorce when you're talking about custody and the children or the adult's mental health. But today, I specifically wanted to talk to you about what concerns or, you know, it causes a lot of fear if somebody has a mental health diagnosis and then their marriage falls apart and they're coming to us and, and there's a custody challenge. People are really worried and concerned about, boy, is this going to hurt me? Am I going to lose my children? So I was really wanting to know from a perspective of obviously a therapist and someone who does these evaluations, how much does a mental health diagnosis impact, in your opinion, somebody's ability to parent their children? Well, the the short answer to that question is if I have somebody in front of me with a verified, established mental health diagnosis, it tells me nothing about how much it affects their ability to parent. What contributes to a diagnosis is separate from what contributes to how well somebody can parent. There's no single diagnosis that precludes someone from being a good parent. And someone without any mental health diagnoses could be a terrible parent. So we don't know. So how do you approach it if you're talking to a patient or you're doing an evaluation or are you sort of get involved? What, how do you figure out what the intersect is if there is one? Yeah, that's, that's the, the important question to be asking is what is the intersection between the behaviors and the symptomology that contribute to the diagnosis and how that might affect somebody's parenting? And I think there are two parts to the answer to that question. The first one is nobody's a perfect parent, right? There's no such thing as someone who is a flawless parent. And one of the, the things that a parent can do to help their children the most is to help the children see that parents struggle too. That parents have issues, that parents need help from people, that we can't just do it all on our own, um, and that we can't hide what we're struggling with. And so, to me, 
one of the things I like to see in a parent who has mental health difficulties is, are they open about the fact that they have those and they're getting treatment and they're making efforts? That doesn't mean that a parent needs to tell the child all the ins and outs of their particular conditions, but a parent should tell the kid, look, I'm feeling sad sometimes. This is a big deal, especially within the context of divorce. This isn't easy, but it's something we're going to get through. And I, you know, mommy needs help with this. Daddy needs help with this. And so there's always help available. I'm going to go get that help. And by the way, you as my child, if there are things that you think you need help with, let me know because I might not be able to help you out. But as you can see through what I'm doing, there are helpful professionals that we can all work with to help better ourselves. So one of the things um, that would be important is the parent's acceptance or understanding of their own mental health issue and how they're treating it within their family. Absolutely. Absolutely. If a, if a parent is oblivious to the fact that they have a mental health concern or that they're, they're experiencing See, I don't even want to say if they're having if they have a condition because I think that that kind of wraps it up in in too tidy a bow for how people actually function. But divorce is rough. High conflict relationships, high conflict marriages, especially when children are involved, are very difficult times. And honestly, as a psychologist, I'm more concerned about someone that's not showing any mental health difficulties during that type of a situation than someone who is experiencing difficulties. Because at least that person who I know is having some difficulties, they're being open and, and they're much more upfront about how their current life situation is affecting them. So if I had to, because I ask these questions because it's important. So when I do an intake, I will ask my client, potential client, whether or not they've been diagnosed or are being treated for with any physician with any issue. Mm -hmm. And I will ask if they're the other parent or the, the other spouses and the amount of people who fill out that they or their spouse are being treated for anxiety or depression is, is really high. I mean, it's probably, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say it's probably 90% of my intake <laughs> forms have that on there that somebody is being treated or has been treated or, or been seen. So I think anxiety and depression are maybe the more known or the more openly treated. I wouldn't say they're the largest diagnoses, but they do appear to be the most openly treated. Sure. And so some of that I realize. So let's just talk about those. If you're talking to a parent and they've been actively being treated for depression or anxiety over the course of their marriage or parenting time, how would you think that they need to be concerned or not concerned about how that is going to impact their parenting or as some objective person's idea of whether or not they would be a good parent or a bad parent? Well, the first point of that that I'll address is this idea of an objective person understanding how their particular struggles might affect their ability to parent. I think that I don't know how a court would view it. You know, it all depends on, on the judge and, and how everything is presented. But as a mental health professional who specializes and only works with um, high conflict, child custody litigation related cases, it's, it's wholly common to have depression or anxiety in while you're in the midst of these cases. And if you think about the trajectory of, of a relationship that goes from its beginning to the point of dissolution, it does, it, it's not overnight. 
right? It's not everything's fine on Monday and then on Tuesday people decide to divorce. It, it's, it's months and months and months, if not years and years and years in the making. And living in that type of, um, of setting for years is how you get depression or how you engender anxiety. And so it really goes hand in hand. I think you can't separate it out. I, I don't think that there are people who get to the point of divorce without experiencing some of those. So it, it, that's just a natural human reaction to what is a very stressful and catastrophic seeming event at the moment. Well, and I mean, sometimes we have people coming in where it's the opposite. It's the depression that causes the separation or the divorce. So the anxiety that causes the other spouse to be like, I can't live like this anymore. So sometimes we see it the other way where somebody has a really, for whatever reason, this mental health issue starts manifesting itself more severely in the other person's life. And it actually causes the breakdown of the marriage. Yeah. Well, and that's almost a chicken and egg issue, right? Mm -hmm. Cause, because I would not be getting divorced from my spouse if he or she didn't have depression. Well, probably the spouse is feeling depression and that depression's exacerbating because they know this is causing mm -hmm. my spouse to, to, to back away emotionally from me. And we will find a lot of people where they feel like that a spouse has an issue with anxiety or depression, but they are refusing to address it, Yeah, treat it, go to therapy, don't believe in therapy or don't believe they have an issue. And, and so it can be very difficult to, to sort of pinpoint, like you well, said, the yeah. chicken or the egg, which, which and that's a whole it. other, yeah. very long conversation about the belief in, in the efficacy of mental health treatment. And to, it's at some level, if you don't think mental health treatment is going to work, mental health treatment will not work. A big part of benefiting from therapy is believing that you will benefit from therapy. One of the sort of paradigms that I see a lot is I see somebody that comes in for an evaluation who talks about, well, we're divorcing now and I've tried every medication in the book. You know, I went to psychiatrist after psychiatrist and we tried this medication and that medication and that was a year and a half period and I just kind of gave up and then that my spouse got angry because I gave up on the medication, but it wasn't helping me. So I went back to try more medication. I tried this and I tried that and we went back and tried some of the other things. And to think that medication will fix the depression or the anxiety that comes from a relationship, from being in a relationship that's not functional is a misunderstanding of what medication does. I heard a psychiatrist describe medication. I think this is perfect. He said medication won't get you down the road to where you need to be, but it'll keep you in the lanes as you're making that trip. And that's what medication is for. And if you're not fixing the things that make you depressed or anxious, medication won't really do anything for you. That's a good analysis. If I was talking about some of the ones that people come in that they believe is going to impact their custody case and that they have concerns about or that they're thinking it makes the other parent somewhat unsafe, I would say people bring up bipolar, they will bring up narcissism, or they will bring up OCD, or they will bring up, interestingly enough, which I don't know that this counts as a diagnosis, but ADHD. Mm -hmm. And and they will come in with a specific one and, and say, you know, hey, I don't know that this person can parent because of this or what I've seen. And, and what do you say when somebody comes in and you're doing evaluations and they're like, hey, my spouse has these things and this is why they need to be evaluated? Right. Well, so my answer to that is 
I'm a psychologist. I'm a forensic psychologist, and that means all of my work is court-related, which means all of my work has to be done to a certain standard that it, that it's acceptable within court, that it qualifies as expert testimony. And as you and I know, there there are certain requirements in order for that to, to be the case. But boiled down to it, to its most basic form, what forensic psychology is, is the application of psychology with an awareness of biases. And so what I do is not only do I look at the information that's presented to me, but I also, anal- I also uh, analyze it for, for potential biases. And there's this thing in our field called confirmation bias. And the best example of that is, you know, if you ask 100 people what kind of car is driven the worst or, you know, who, what car driver is the worst, people say, oh, it's BMWs. BMWs are the worst drivers. They never use their turn signals. Uh, that's not true, right? People don't use their turn signals at a pretty even rate across every car model and make. It's just that once you start believing that this particular car model or this particular make doesn't use their turn signals, if you see a car not use your turn signal, you're going to look and see, oh, if that was a BMW, you're going to remember it. If it wasn't, you won't concern yourself with it. And that's what confirmation bias is. And the issue with diagnoses is that if you start, if a person believes that their spouse is narcissistic personality disorder or ADHD or bipolar, everything that they see their spouse do, they're going to start interpreting it through this lens of, oh, well, how could, how would a, a narcissistic person do that? Oh, then they must be narcissistic. And that doesn't help anybody because when it comes down to it, the diagnosis isn't what affects their ability to parent. A diagnosis is just shorthand for a description of symptoms, right? Symptoms or conditions. And it's that which is important to me as the evaluator. Okay, you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. How does that manifest? How does that affect your ability to parent? I could meet 100 people with ADHD diagnoses, and some of them would be great parents despite the diagnosis. Some of them would be terrible parents despite the diagnosis. Some of them be good parents because of the diagnosis. You know, if you, if you think about an ADHD person, maybe that's a good person to be down on the floor playing with a three-year-old, right? Because they can match the three-year-old for their tempo and, and, and interests. And so we don't know. And what I would, what I spend a lot of time doing in my reports that I write for, for courts is explaining, okay, look, we don't know if this diagnosis is accurate or not for the purpose of parenting. It almost doesn't matter, right? So, you know, in in order to have a diagnosis, you need to have a certain set of, you need to meet a certain set of criteria. Well, it's which criteria you meet that potentially impacts your ability to parent. But you can meet criteria and still not be diagnosable. But it sounds like that that really the, the takeaway is that people need to relax and understand that a mental health diagnosis is not a death nail to a custody case. And it's not a, some sort of bonus prize you've gotten if you're trying to win it, you know, if your other side has it, that what people need to understand is that it is a very individual analysis and that whether or not a mental health diagnosis is going to impact the parenting is just going to depend on that, that parent and that child. Right. Yes. And I don't know how a court would view it, but as a mental health professional, I think about people that are going through custody litigation as being in some of the worst times of their lives. 
And it's wholly appropriate to start having mental health concerns when you're in the middle of that litigation. And does it also exacerbate, I guess, characteristics or criteria that people might already have? Uh, That's probably not the right way to phrase it. But if you have a tendency, maybe it's undiagnosed, but if you perhaps have had or have an underlying mental health issue, is is high conflict because a divorce or custody case going to maybe bring that to the surface? Yeah, you can think of the symptoms that lead to mental health diagnoses, diagnoses as being sort of suboptimal coping mechanisms. You know, the things that we learn as children, how to, to resolve conflict or maybe as adults. At some point we learn, okay, this particular approach seemed to work. And so we do that. Some people tend towards depression. Some people tend to be anxious, you know, different clusters of, of, um, of ways to exhibit depression or anxiety would be one diagnosis or another diagnosis. And in times of stress, the what contributes to those diagnoses tends to be exacerbated, yes. But what we don't know, when I say we, I mean psychologists as a profession, what we have been unable to determine to any degree of, of relevant certainty is whether people with mental health diagnoses tend to get to a point of high conflict custody litigation or whether high conflict custody litigation engenders or exacerbates sort of this underlying tendency to to demonstrate maladaptive coping mechanisms or if it's some combination of the two. So we're not really sure about that. And that's why I spend a lot of time in my professional work educating courts and educating evaluees and their attorneys about, look, let's not get too hung up on this particular diagnosis because that may or may not be relevant to what the real concern is, because the real concern is, can you parent? And certainly someone with a longstanding 20-year history of, of a severe personality disorder that raises more concerns about their ability to parent than someone without such a history. But I just, you notice I said it raises concerns. It doesn't mean they can't parent. Mm-hmm. And the other side to that coin is someone with 20 years of no mental health conditions or diagnoses or history. That doesn't mean they don't have them. It just means that they don't have the history or I don't know about the history. Yeah, I've, I've seen situations where you have someone that probably has always had maybe some issues that might have been diagnosable, but they've avoided doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists. So there is no history. There are no records. And so they're coming in, quote unquote, clean. And then the other parent will have been very embracing of therapy. (laughs) So they've been, there's just like a a huge plate of of records and, and history for them. And so when you go into these evaluations, sometimes they can look very skewed. Right. Just because of, how open one person is about the need for mental health counseling and and another person being very closed off to it. Absolutely. And and you can think of an evaluation as, as a a psychologist's attempt to predict future behavior, right? We can't do that with any extremely high degree of accuracy, but we can make some relatively good predictions in general. And in order to predict future behavior, what you need to know is you need to know current behavior and you need to know past behavior. And so essentially what we're doing is we're estimating trajectories. And if we don't know past behavior, we don't know 
what the trajectory looks like. But if we've got a mental health history, that allows our projections to be much more accurate and not necessarily in a negative way. It could be look how much they've improved or look how they have a history of seeking out help when they need help. Right? Nobody, nobody admires the person who doesn't go to the doctor to get treatment for their lung cancer. Right? Nobody says, oh, look how they're just toughing it out. But somehow that sort of, uh, that sort of interpretation is applied to people. Oh, look, he's depressed, but he's not going to get help because he can just figure out how to do it on his own. As a mental health professional, that's not encouraging because that kind of person, what are they teaching their kids? So it sounds like that, that really the bottom line is it, it can be very important to evaluate whether or not there is a mental health condition and whether or not it is impacting present parenting and will impact future parenting. But the real crux of the matter is how have they been parenting? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And when it comes comes down to it, that's what matters the most is how can they parent? I mean, I, I've evaluated people that I would sit down with them and I can think of two people in particular, none, neither of them were in Charlotte, just for people who are curious, who were just miserable people to spend time with. I mean, they were extremely unpleasant and uncomfortable to be around, but they were fantastic parents. Mm -hmm. And, and the way that they interacted with their children was amazing. And, you know, that really sets up the dichotomy of just because somebody is not pleasant in front of you means that they're not a good parent. And conversely, some of the most charming, well-liked, high-functioning people at other levels of their life are, are actually quite deficient parents. Absolutely. You, you just, you can't tell. So it sounds like the best thing to sort of take away is if you have a mental health issue or you think your spouse has a mental health issue or the other parent, if you're not married, has a mental health issue, just really understand that it's really going to come down to the parenting, not the mental health diagnosis. Absolutely. And part of parenting is demonstrating to your kids how they can get help. Great. Well, we certainly enjoy you being here, and we hope that you're going to come back and talk to us about some of these other issues that are related to your forensic work and, and the, the things that you've been able to glean out of doing this work for a long time. Absolutely. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, because I know that you do a lot of forensic work, but you, you, have, you work with the Mecklenburg County Forensic Evaluation Unit, but you also have your own practice. So how would people find you? I have a website that's sbkphd.com, uh, and that has all the contact information that you'll need, as well as some basic information for uh, the type of work that I do and the necessary steps to perhaps refer something to me. Okay, well, wonderful. Thank you so much. Definitely. So there you have it. Another neighborhood of Splitsville explored. There's still so much to learn here, so I hope you'll tune in to the next episode. While Splitsville is not a fun place to be, Thankfully, it is full of helpful people, valuable resources, and sound advice if you know where to look. See you next time. The insights and views presented in Welcome to Splitsville are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready for compassionate and reliable legal guidance on your journey, contact Lee Sellers and her team at www.touchstonefamilylaw.com.